Growing up in a multicultural city like London was an interesting experience for me. As children, we quickly establish associations between things from what we see and how often we see them. And this sets the foundation for how we interact with the world thereafter once we mature into adults. This applied to me across the board as a kid, but even more so in primary school. As a kid from an Afro-Caribbean background, I would compare my standing relative to other kids across their racial and ethnic lines. So for instance, I would have a few Indian kids in my class and their parents would own corner shops and real estate. So I would make the connection that Indian families in the general were business orientated and well off. African kids I would find came from stable households. Their father was in their life, both parents worked and the children themselves seemed to do good in school. So even there, relative to African kids, I felt the Caribbean model was the opposite. From my family alone, I saw a lot of single mothers, low income jobs, smoking, drinking and no home ownership. And as a kid, this made me feel that out of the blacks, the Caribbeans were at the bottom of the rung as the Africans just seemed to have more pride, community and structure in their culture than we did. The Chinese kids' family, from what I remember, owned little retail stores. The kids themselves excelled at school as well. So similar to the Indian kids, I held them as enterprising and just naturally smart too. And then, then, they, were, and then they were the white kids. They just seemed to have it all and be living the life. They always did extracurricular subjects after school. They always had play dates on the weekend. They lived in actual homes and not on council estates. And another thing which put them in the league of their own was that they always had packed lunch. I know that this may sound foolish, but it is important to know that this formed the basis for what I was to expect of people based on their race. Going on to make me think that people of different races were just gene genetically inclined to be successful whilst people from other race groups just weren't. This is a heavy burden for any kid to take on, but also forms up expectations one has of themselves, which are drawn from the expectations they have of their group, which is one of the reasons why I never excelled at school, because I never felt that I was supposed to in the first place. Even though all of this was founded on very flawed logic, the stereotypes which are widely believed today doesn't stray too far from the connections in which I was making as a kid. But why is this? Why is it that Chinese children are expected to excel at school? Why is it that Indian families are likely to excel in business? And why is it that we as a black community have been here before the influx of all these other race groups yet lag behind them economically? Well, in this particular episode, we will deconstruct this somewhat. So what may appear now as some form of racial superiority is in fact a manufactured spectacle. So when we look at the Indian demographic in the UK, they started arriving in the 60s and the 70s. What has typically been earmarked about this particular group is their inclination for business, especially when you consider they are best known for owning corner shops, restaurants and real estate also common amongst Indian families for there to be a strong emphasis on education, which is why you tend to find a strong representation of Indians in high income professions, such as consultancy, IT, medicine, etc. But if we're to go solely by what we see here on the surface in the UK, then this can actually skew the true reality of things. When we hark back to India itself, we find that their society is founded on something known as the caste system. 
The caste system is essentially a social hierarchy which you are born into, and depending on what caste you are born into will determine your social standing. There are castes which, which bring you social prestige, and there's castes which bring you social shame. Each caste has a particular function that they pass down from generation to generation. So if you're born into a caste known for textiles, then the chances are is that you're going to repeat that tradition yourself. Which is why it's interesting when we take a closer look at the Indians who emigrated here in the 60s and the 70s, because they weren't scattergun and from, from a different range of castes, but instead they were mainly from Run, the Patel caste. And what is their particular caste known for? Yep, you guessed it, business and property ownership. The Patels are amongst the most high-ranking castes in India in terms of social status and wealth. And because their particular competency was business and real estate, the Patels were the first people tasked with the opportunity to be a part of the initial wave of immigrants of Indians to the UK. Why them and no other caste though? Because Indian think tanks knew that this particular caste would do the one thing which serves as the foundation all self-sustaining communities need, and that's establish an economic base. And from there, create a foundation and a community which can employ themselves instead of having to rely on a prejudiced European system which would alienate them in their formative years. This explains why many Indians you may know have the surname Patel and have such a stronghold over their local economy. The Indian think tanks will target areas in the country where the property prices were low and will allow them to own and dominate, dominate, dominate an area. We've seen this with areas in East London, Birmingham and so forth. And in doing so, creates a platform where other Indian families can make the jump too with a good chance of hitting the ground running. It's important to understand that India has a population around a billion people. And what we see here in the UK isn't representative of the feats Indians aspire to on the whole. Which is why it's important to know what it is you're measuring yourself against. Because the only difference between the immigration wave of the Indians and ours of the African diaspora is that they had a more strategic plan which mapped out their next 50 years. And once they were to establish their economic foundation, they could then focus on pushing their children into the best schools and universities, alongside now pushing members of their community into politics so they can control the dynamics of their community even more. But please note that this could not be their focus if they hadn't established their economic foundation first. Because in the instance members of their communities are rejected from mainstream society, they still have the option of falling back on the economy established by their race group. It is important to know that mass immigration of any kind is not a coincidence, nor does it just happen out of the blue. It is in fact a part of a country's foreign policy and contributes significantly to a country's agenda. Like India, China have somewhat of an immigration policy themselves. What we find is that they don't necessarily come here to stay, but more so send across their most intelligent students. This is so they can attend the best universities, soak up all the new knowledge that is being discovered in the West, and then bring back these breakthroughs to their native China. 
This ensures that they're able to keep pace with the West in terms of innovation, science and global supremacy. But again, looking at this particular group in the UK and feeling that they're representative of their country as a whole will have you making a grave mistake. Like India, China has a population in excess of 1 billion. And it wasn't a long time ago as to where the Chinese government allowed a significant number of these people to be exploited by Western capitalism as they were working on wages for less than a dollar a day. China exposed the gaping weakness in capitalism as we know it, which is greed, and pimped out their own people in order to magnetize the heavy capital and infrastructure, which would have been the result of Western industry relocating there. This will make them out to be a key cornerstone in global economics and policy and, in, and secure their position as a global power, something which is difficult to argue with today. If it wasn't for China, they'd be no Apple iPhone. Why? Because it would be too expensive to make. It's, it's, it's interesting to add that whilst Apple was running its most iconic advertising campaign in the early 2000s, Think Different, in their Chinese factories, it would say, everybody thinks as one. It stands to reason that we too have the capabilities to attain greatness in this present day. What on the surface looks like some kind of genetic advantage is in fact just careful planning and diligence on their part. When other races send their indigenous out here, they're really sending their best. But we make the mistake of believing that these people are representative of their race as a whole. All we need is a plan that we stick to, but also a plan that we're prepared to die for. Because these people coming from these other countries are willing to do that and put their race before their own personal ambitions and wants. Um, that sums up this episode um, of Be More. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you are able to get a lot of value from it. Um, make sure that you follow us on Instagram at bemore.co. So that's B-M-O-O-R dot co. Um, and make sure that you uh, get your hands on our free ebook, um, the 40 proven ways to generate £1,000 per month. Um, it's a free ebook. Um, just find the link in the description and take it and, and it will direct you there. Um, if um, on the platform you're listening to this on doesn't allow you to do that, then you can go um, to my Instagram and you'll find the, the link in, the, in my bio on the Instagram page. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. Um thanks again for you know coming coming through and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Peace.